Good morning. Merry Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas this week and celebration in time. It's uh, hard to believe that this is the last Sunday of 2014. This is it. And then as we gather next week, it'll be 2015. And so uh, I was thinking through, uh, we, we spent the last four weeks, if you've been with us, the last four Sundays, the Sundays of Advent leading up, focusing on Jesus and how all of the promises of God find their yes in him. And we talked about how he's the, the true and better priest and prophet and king and all those things and what they mean for us and really just shining that light on Christ and that he would be central in our time as we move towards Christmas. And so we, we ended that series on Christmas Eve and now we have a week and the next week is 2015. So I've kind of had one week in between of what do I do for this week and then we're going to start a new series next week. And so uh, what kind of came to mind is something that I've wanted to do for a while and I've never quite done. I kept going back to thinking about doing it. And so you'll see printed in your bulletin there, it actually says Mark uh, 5:19. It's the passage we're going to look at, and it says a Charles Spurgeon sermon. And so uh, what that means is my outline this morning is actually not my own, it's Charles Spurgeon's. And so if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, that's okay. Uh, he was a pastor who lived in the 1800s in London. He was a pastor at the same church for 38 years, and it said that he preached to over 10 million people. And uh, Charles Spurgeon is often referred to as the prince of preachers. Uh, There's some that would say that he's the greatest preacher who ever lived. That's always debatable. But he was a brilliant, brilliant man who loved the Lord and was very faithful for a long time where God had called him. And so he's written uh, all his sermons as he used to preach would then be published and made widely available. And so you can find tons of his sermons online. You can find lots that he's written uh, different books they've compiled it into, and it's all really, really great. And so if you've never heard of Charles Spurgeon, if nothing else this morning, you're now being introduced to him. And so I'd say, he's worth your time to read what he's written. Uh, one of my favorite books is, is Lectures to My Students, and it's just lectures that he used to teach and things he used to say, and there's wonderful, wonderful, great wisdom in that. And so this morning we're going to look at this passage in Mark 5. Uh, I just read that passage to you, verses 1 to 20. Uh, You just heard the story of Jesus healing the demoniac, this guy that has been demon-possessed, and he's going about roaming the countryside, just an absolute mess in everything. And then he was hurting himself and chained, and he lived among the tombs. It's a pretty uh, horrific picture that you get there. And he comes into contact with Jesus, and he heals him. And so he gets to the end of that interchange as he heals him, and the man begs Jesus and says that he might be with him. But this is what I want us to look at. This is where we're going to focus our time this morning on verse 19, what Jesus says to the man. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and that he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And the way we're going to go about that, it's just really the outline I'm going to go by. I'm not going to, I didn't memorize Charles Spurgeon's sermon I'm not going to try to talk like he did or do all that or tell all the things. Uh, again, he preached in the 1800s. Some of his examples and the things he talks about wouldn't really apply so much. But the basic outline is his. And that's, that's kind of the way I'm going to work through this. But before we do, let's pray and then we'll look at that passage together. Lord, we thank you uh, for the truth of your word. We thank you that it is living, that it is active, that it, it, uh, uh, cre- you create through your word, but you also recreate through your word, that you are showing us more clearly who you are as we open your word and spend time in it. We pray that you would uh, move uh, freely in this place, that your spirit would come and guide us in all truth, that you would show us uh, maybe areas of our life that we're not following you completely, that you would 
convict us where we need convicting, but you would also just come alongside and continue to point us to how Jesus is our righteousness and he is the completeness of all that you've done for us. And for that, we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we look at this passage together, it goes well on the heels of what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Because last week, as we gathered on Sunday, we talked about how Jesus is the true and better king. That uh, we looked at uh, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, as Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. But before he says that, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go make disciples. And so we talked about how Jesus is the king of all that has authority over all things. And that's what he tells us to go do, to go make disciples of all nations. And so this passage, where we look at what Jesus says to this man who's been healed, who now has new life, whose life has completely changed, and what he goes and tells him to do is in perfect keeping with what we talked about last week. And so as we look at this picture of what Jesus tells him of go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. There's a very obvious underpinning of everything we're going to look at this morning that at least has to be said before we work our way through just this passage and really thinking about the fullness of it. But when we come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and we're following him and we're seeking to be obedient to him, it's never going to result in withdrawing from the world. At different times throughout history in the church, there's been this misunderstanding that being pious and being committed to God is I withdraw from everything and it's just me and God. And you don't find that in the Bible. You don't find that in Jesus, our King, and what he commands us to do. In fact, you find very much the opposite. You see it right here in this passage. Is this guy says, I want to come, and I'm going to stay with you. And he says, no, 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 go home and tell your friends what's happened. Go tell them what I've done. You see the same thing with the apostles as they gather together in what we looked at last week. As Jesus is ascending to heaven, he says, now go make disciples. Go tell people what I've done for you. Go teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Uh, you see in Scripture as Jesus prays for the church. John chapter 17 in the upper room Right before the crucifixion, Jesus prays for the disciples. He prays for the church. He prays for those that would come to faith. He prays for us. And he says, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from evil. He says, don't have them withdraw. Don't take them out of it, but keep them from evil. And so Jesus is constantly sending us. Uh, John chapter 20, right after the resurrection, John 20, 21, Jesus says, uh, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so we see that over and over that God is ascending God and he's sending us to make disciples and to go. And so we just have to say that right at the beginning. That's that's the kind of foundational truth here. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't times that we withdraw to pray and to seek the Lord and be quiet before him and be restored in those ways. Absolutely, that's true. But that's never the end. We do that and then we go and tell and we go and make disciples of all nations. And so obvious point there, but it needs to be said because it's foundational to everything we're going to talk about this morning. And so the question then is, is why this text here right after Christmas, right around the holidays, uh, why talk about this right now, right? This kind of a, the demon possessed man and Jesus, why would that be? And I think part of what comes to mind as you think about this passage, why this text right now is right around this time we get to spend a lot of time, most of the time with family and friends. 
We do that at Christmas and New Year's and this week and lots of things and lots of opportunities. And here is Jesus saying, go home to your friends and tell them all that I've done for you. And so you're going to have opportunities even this very week and in the coming weeks where you're going to be around friends and family and different chances and opportunities to speak the truth of what Jesus has done for you. Go tell them all that I've done for you and the mercy that I've had on you. And so that's what we're going to look at and just think about this morning of going home, telling those that God's brought into our life what he's done for us. And so three questions. I was so thrilled as I read the Spurgeon sermon that he had three questions. <laughs> he doesn't usually do that. And in fact, if you read Charles Spurgeon, a lot of times it's kind of all over. And so as I read this sermon and it was very kind of one, two, three, I went, yes, this makes sense to me. This is like the best Spurgeon sermon I've ever read because sometimes he loses me in the way he goes. But he had three questions. So he says this, uh, what are you to tell? Secondly, why are you to tell it? And third, how are you to tell it? So what are we to tell? Why are we to tell it and, and how are you to tell it? And so I want us just to think about Jesus sending us to our friends, to those around us, to tell them what God has done. And so what are you to tell? And so look at just what Jesus says. And this is very straightforward. Hopefully it's very obvious in what he says. But as we say, what are you to tell? Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And so when we ask that question, what are we to tell there's a very straightforward that you're to tell your experience and what God has done for you in your life. What your experience is with the holy God of the universe and the way he saved you and his son Jesus and how he's had mercy on you. He doesn't say go tell them uh, what he did for this person or that person. He tells you very clearly go tell them what he's done for you. Give your personal recount of what God's done in your life, how he's shown you mercy. At different times, we can get into growing in our faith and we grow and we learn and we start to hear scripture and we're bringing these things in. But then, And I'm confessing, this is me, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else. I'm very linear in my thinking. I'm very analytical in the way I like to think through things. I like apologetics and I like debates and those different things. And so it can end up telling people this is what it says and here's how you should think and here's how you should live and here's what it looks like. And that can be the way I begin to speak. Instead of what God has shown me and the mercy he's done and what he's done in my life and it becomes very impersonal and it can become very just kind of checking doctrines off. You need to believe this and this and this. And Jesus tells this man who most likely knew very little I mean, think of his background and where he came from and what he's been doing. And then God heals him miraculously. Jesus comes and speaks life into him. And then he says, go tell them what happened to you. Go tell them your story and what I've done for you. And so when we think about what are we to tell as we go and we spend time with people and we begin to tell what God's done in our life, tell what God's done personally for you. The mercy that he has shown you in your life, the way he's shown up, and what you're doing and how he's sustaining you and walking with you and helping you. Tell him personally what's going on in your life. And then secondly, when we think about what are you to tell, we should be telling how grateful we are. Right? He says right there, tell them how he has had mercy on you. How he's had mercy on you. I want you just to think about that, that phrase for a second. That God has had mercy on us and what he's done for us. And so what I've found a lot when I talk to different people, when the, the idea or the, the conversation comes up about your faith and what you believe and different things, and I talk to people that are not Christians, 
say not yet believers, they don't know Jesus in a saving way. What I find oftentimes is the assumption is that to be a Christian is I keep some rules and I keep them the best I can. And if I do that pretty well, God will accept me. And the reason I think that happens and the reason those conversations go that way a lot is that is our heart's default. As sinful, broken people, we see our relationship with God dependent on what we do because we've made ourselves the center of the world instead of God. That's what sin is. We've ignored God and his world and we've decided to make ourselves the center. And so when you start to talk to someone about what God's done and who he is, that's the default. You're saying I need to be more like you and then I can be accepted by God. That's the way people will often hear what you say when you begin to share what God's done in your life. Now, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, you know that is completely and totally and absolutely false. I'm not accepted by God because of what I've done. I'm accepted by God because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. He has had mercy on me. Right? That's what Jesus tells the man to go say. Go tell him how I have had mercy on you. Right? Mercy or grace, we use those words a lot. God has extended grace to me. Grace means undeserved merit. God has given me that which I didn't deserve. It's not that I go and tell people about what's happened in my life and, and I can start to take on kind of a shades of I'm a Christian because God saw that I was a pretty good person and I was an easy fix-up project. Right? That he was pretty good, and so he's already kind of there, and so yeah, I'll, I'll bring him in. And we can kind of talk that way at different times. And I'm not saying people mean to do that, but we can start to slip into that instead of how God has had mercy on us. So there should be a great uh, gratefulness in the way that we talk to other people. God was gracious to me, a sinner who was hopelessly lost, and he did what I could never do for me. When we start to talk in terms of uh, good people and bad people, sometimes we start to categorize things that way. Let me remind you what the Bible says. Read Romans 1 to 3, and you get this picture that there are no good people. There's only sinful people. There's only people who have ignored God and his world and turned their back on him. And the only way that that is that uh, gap is, is bridged is by what Jesus does for us. And so when we begin to talk that way, we're missing who we are before God. And so there should always be, uh, when we say, what are we to tell, a great uh, picture of gratefulness. That I am an undeserving sinner, that God has done what I could never do for me, and it's all Him. And so there should be this overwhelming sense of, of gratefulness. You should communicate the mercy that God has showed you in your life. And you think about this guy. Think about the picture that's here. That's running around the countryside, hurting himself, living among the tombs, and then God heals him. And then there's the picture. Right? That's the exact picture of our spiritual condition. Apart from Christ, we are a mess. And he comes in and saves us by no doing of our own. It's by grace you have been saved. It's a free gift of God. And so that picture is we're to tell how grateful we are. So the first part is, what are you to tell? We're to tell what God's done for us with great gratefulness. But then secondly, why are we to tell it? When we go and we begin to talk to friends or family or you read this and it start at the beginning and say, hey, you're going to have all these opportunities where you're around people over the holidays and you have opportunities. It's difficult. I'll confess, I think it's more difficult to have these conversations with people you know. 
with friends and family or people you've known for a long time. It's easier to go on a short-term mission trip and go to the other side of the world and be around a bunch of people that you've never seen before and then talk about Jesus. Because then you get back on the plane and you go home. And it doesn't really matter what they think of me because I'm going to leave. It's more difficult when it's your friends and family around you. It's more difficult in those relationships. So then the question becomes, why are we to tell? I think the first reason, foremost, we're to tell because of our king, because of Jesus and the way that he has loved us. That should be why we tell. When we think about what that looks like and what it costs Christ to purchase our salvation, I always go to the night before he dies, after the upper room, after that sweet time with the disciples, after he institutes the Lord's Supper, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he falls on his face and he begins to pray. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, if it's possible for this cup to pass, this would be the time to do that. And he cries out to the Father and he asks that. And we know from Scripture, when you read through all of Scripture and you see, and as Jesus prays about the cup passing, the cup is a picture of God's wrath. Jesus knew full well that he was going to go to the cross, and on the cross God was going to allow the sin of the world, the sin of those that would put their faith in Christ to be set on Jesus where he would bear God's wrath for that sin. And he says if there's any way for that cup to pass, this would be the time. And it says he was sweating drops of blood because of the stress of seeing what's coming. But then he ends that prayer and he says, Father, not my will, but yours. And he gets up and he walks right into it. Jesus said over and over, I lay down my life on my own accord. No one takes it from me. When they come to take him for the crucifixion and Peter pulls out his sword and he's going to stop all this, Jesus says, stop. Don't you know I could call down angels right now and end this? And so what Jesus was clearly saying is I am choosing to walk directly into this. I am going to willingly lay my life down for you. I'm going to walk into the torture and the flogging and the crucifixion and more than any of that, I'm going to walk into taking your sin on me and letting God's wrath be poured out on me. He says I'm going to do that willingly. Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he walked right into it and said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to choose to doing that. I'm willingly going to exchange my perfect life for your sinful life. I'm willingly going to bear the wrath of God's righteous punishment on your sin on myself, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. And so when we talk about why do we tell what he's done, it's because of the way that he has loved us. That's why. If you know the love of Christ and what he's done for you in your life, how can you not tell people about his love? What happens when you get engaged? Anybody? Think about it. What happens when you get engaged? You tell everybody. We're getting married. This person that I love, this is it. What happens when you have a child? You obnoxiously show everyone the picture of your baby for years. Look at how cute they are. My youngest is four and I still do it. Hey, check out this picture. Why? Because you love your kids so much and you want everybody to know about it. And then when you think about what Jesus did for us, what it cost him, the love that he, the greatest love 
ever in the way he loves us, what would be the proper response? To tell people of his love and what he's done for us. It would be just what he tells this man to do. Go tell them how much the Lord has done for you and that he's had mercy on you. And so we talk about why do we tell? We tell because of the way Jesus has loved us. But we also tell for joy. Jesus said over and over, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I came that your joy may be full. In 1 John, John talks about that. I want you to understand things so you can have this fullness of joy. We tell what Christ has done for us and we go and tell our friends, as he says here, go back to the people you know and you love and you spend time with and you tell them and you tell them for joy. Because if you know Jesus, you know every person that you come into contact with is never going to have a fullness of joy apart from Christ. It cannot happen. And so the people that are around you that don't know Jesus, that are going through their life, they are missing the most important thing that there is, namely a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The greatest joy that they could ever know. And they're all around you and you have opportunities every day. And so you tell because you know what Jesus has done for you and you know the joy that it's done and you want them to have that joy. You want them to be part of that. And not only that, there's a wonderful side of that that can sound very selfish, but it's absolutely true. There's a joy that comes with that. When you explain and you talk to people about what Christ has done or you meet someone and you start to have that conversation, then I find they already know Jesus and they know that joy. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. There's a joy that comes in sharing that together. There's a joy that comes when somebody, the light comes on as God's spirit begins to move and he begins to open their eyes and he begins to show them and they go, yes, I see it. There is a joy that comes with that for you and for them. And as you walk through life and you know, I know I can't get up each day and live and go through the things and have the joy that I have apart from Jesus. It's just not possible. And so I see people that go, how do they do this without Christ in their life? And I don't know. And so for the joy that comes from Jesus, we share what he's done for us. This is what he's done for me. I was completely lost and he found me. And so we begin to share what he's done for us. And so we think about why do we tell? We tell because of the way Christ has loved us. But we also tell for joy. For theirs and ours. That we get the fullness of joy in seeing that. Seeing what Christ has done and seeing Him work. And so we want their best and we want their joy. And so we tell friends and family who Jesus is. Because we know the fullness only comes in that. So that takes us to the last part. How ought we tell? How are we to tell those that we come into contact with? How are we to tell what God has done? And I think the first part is truthfully. You tell of your experience and what God has done for you and you don't have to embellish it. You don't have to tell someone else's story. You don't have to go, hey, let me tell you what God did for this person. Tell what God's done in your life. 
remember being on a mission trip. I was 17 years old. I was with this guy that was leading our trip, and he had this incredible testimony. He had been uh, on the streets of San Francisco and a drug addict and all these things and all this stuff, and he wandered into a club because he liked the music one day, and it turned out the drummer of the band was a Christian, and he witnessed to him and became a Christian. It was this incredible story. And the guy has this wonderful ministry in downtown Atlanta today and all these things that he did. And I remember him looking and saying, and don't you dare think that your testimony is less than that because it didn't have some great big whatever. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are a miracle. The Spirit of God has opened your eyes to see the living God of the universe and the way he saved you in Jesus. And that is worth telling. Now, sometimes it's going to be like this guy. It's going to be a disaster before and a miraculous turnaround. And sometimes it's going to be you were born into a Christian home and you knew Jesus your whole life. And one is not less than the other. And so you tell truthfully where you are and what that looks like. And I think as we tell truthfully and as we begin to tell what God has done, you're truthful and where you're struggling and how that looks and the way you're working that out as you go. Anybody who tells a testimony of I was sinful and I was this and now I've arrived and everything is perfect is a liar. We are all on that going through it. And each day we're, we're fighting. We just talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Romans 7. This war that goes on with my flesh and my spirit and how I'm seeking every day to follow God and be obedient to him. And so we tell truthfully what's going on. We tell truthfully of what God has done for us and we begin to show. Don't pretend to be something you're not, but continue to point to what Christ has done for you. So tell truthfully. But then tell, and this goes hand in hand. If we're truthful, this goes very hand in hand with it. Tell humbly. I'm a mess. And it's only Jesus. That's all I have. I'm a sinful person who's seeking each day to be more obedient to him. I don't know where, I always attribute this quote to Rich Mullins, but I don't think it's his. Probably goes way before him. But a Christian is one beggar showing another beggar where to find a morsel of food. You've ever heard that before? That's my story. I don't have anything. I got nothing in and of myself. All I have is that God has shown me mercy and grace in my life, and I don't have anything else. So humbly, we begin to tell people. We tell them what God's done for us and the way it's changed our lives and the way he's worked in that. So we tell truthfully and we tell humbly. And then we tell earnestly. This is Spurgeon's word, earnestly. And I thought, ah, that seems kind of dated. But then I started to think about what he's really saying when he says that, earnestly. He says, mean what you say. Tell people, don't be flippant about who God is. You can ask my wife, Joanna. She and I uh, met in college, and she was not a believer, and we had lots and lots of discussions. And a lot of my thinking, and Joanna's kind of this way, was very analytical, and let's talk about objections and go through all these things. And she says, the most important thing you ever said to me is, hard to believe, but through tears, uh, that, that I know what I know, and this is it. God is real, and this is who Jesus is. And that meant more than anything else. Being earnest and really believing what you say. I had a guy ask me at a Christmas party last year, actually, why are you a pastor? How did you choose that job? 
And my answer was, I actually believe this. And it was like, what? I thought you, wait a second. You, no, no, no. I believe that the living son of God has come to earth and he's told us to do this. And it was like, uh, miraculous. What are you talking about? And so be earnest. Tell people that I, I do believe this. Be earnest in the way you talk to people. Tell them what God's word says. Believe that it says God's word is living and active. And when I tell them clearly what it says, that God's going to do his work, that he's at work. Don't be flippant about things that God's not flippant about. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be really serious all the time. It doesn't mean that you can't joke with people or laugh with them. We should be the most joyful people in the world as Christians. And that doesn't mean that you can't do those kind of things. But when things that God calls sin, don't laugh at it. One of the things that God says, this is what it looks like, say that earnestly and seriously. This is what God says. And so we be earnest in the way that we talk to people. And then lastly, as we think about how do we tell it, we tell it devoutly. And again, that was Spurgeon's word, tell it devoutly. And what do you mean by that? That we are prayerful in the people that God has put in our lives. That we are up begging God for mercy for those people that he's brought right in front of us. When you think about devoutly, it's going to be prayerfully and it's going to be led by God's spirit. Right? Which that goes hand in hand with everything else we're saying. You tell what God has done for you. You tell it humbly. You know that the only reason that you are a believer is because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see it and gripped your heart and showed you Jesus. And so you know that you cannot do that. You will never, ever, ever argue someone into faith. You can't do it. It'll be the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray. We beg God that he would show himself in these people's lives, that he would open their eyes to see it. And then we follow his spirit wherever he is leading. And that's really difficult. That's easy to say. But when we're really open to where God's leading us, there's going to be times when you go, I really don't want to say anything. And the Spirit's going to be going, yeah, you do. <laughs> it's time to say it. And so we say it devoutly and that we're being obedient to what he's told us. We're praying for people. We're seeking that God would be honored in all our relationships. And so we're looking for those opportunities. And so as we go this week, you've got this week leading up, we've got celebrating New Year this week, and you'll have opportunities with different friends and family and places you go. And then we've, we've got a New Year starting this week, 2015. The opportunities that are before you to tell what God has done for you in your life. That it is worth telling. It's a wonderful good news of the gospel. We have something worth telling. We have the greatest news there is that God has done to you, with you, for you in your life, and you now have opportunities to go and tell others what He's done. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. I thank You for this man that we read about here. Your mercy to him. Just a picture, that is, of each one of us. And we are an absolute wreck and a mess without You, but yet You have come mightily into our lives for Your glory through your grace, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the wonderful 
privilege that we have that you have chosen to use us in your work and what you're doing. And I pray that we would just be ever more obedient in doing so. And it would be for your honor and your glory. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This is now the time where we worship through our tithes and our offerings.